The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Thank you for the chance to get into your word and to hear from you in your desire to help us through um, the storms of life. Pray tonight that you would um, be clear with us, that you would um, reach the hearts of the people that are here that don't even know why they're here. And for the people that uh, may have just uh, found themselves kind of wandering and found themselves in their car and found themselves crossing the street and found themselves wandering up here and found a place to sit down, I'm so thankful that you make appointments with us and that um, I believe that there is no one here tonight that doesn't have that appointment with you, that you are involved in every life that is sitting here right now. You have desires for their lives, that you have hopes and um, that you have um, a passion around them living their life uh, that you've given them. It's such a gift. I pray tonight that this would be one step on that journey and that it would be something that would last as they go into the things that are important to them, their relationships, into their work, into their families. I pray that these, these words that you give us will, will help guide them. And me too. I know that I need that every day. We pray in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, welcome. So, I haven't cleared you out yet, which I'm sort of amazed by. Good to have you back. Um, I've tried my best, but you've come back. Now listen, you guys are in the sidelines here. Is this, can you see a little bit? Yeah? Okay, I'll move it. No, I'm just kidding. The, uh, I was hoping to help you. Um, so tonight, I'm going to try and put some things up on the board. This is, how many people here are more visual? Visual, visual, visual. Yeah, me too, me too. Um, I've got a whiteboard in the office that I'm using. I'm always having to put things up. So I'm going to do that tonight. Um, we are finishing out our series um, on the Lord's Prayer. And the idea that you guys have been here with me, I've seen your faces, so I know you know. I don't mean to, to uh, drill it in. But this idea that I really have this picture in my head of Jesus and the heartbeat of Jesus, which to me for, is, is so much how I pray. And I don't know how, how it works for you. But for me, it is very helpful to picture Jesus literally listening when I'm reading the Gospels over and over again. Um, and I have a deep belief that if for those of you who were raised in a church like I was, where we didn't read the Bible that much on our own, we just didn't. So I came to college and I didn't know anything. I have a bias that the Gospels are the place to start. And um, read Genesis 1 through 3, and then I just get people into the Gospels. And I used to take, like when I was a, a college pastor, I would take a group of guys. Every summer we called it the Gospel Challenge. Some of you have heard me say this before, where we would, I would get these guys and we would read for 12 weeks in a row in summer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So you get in the Gospels, boom, 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 boom. Fast enough that you can't stop and pigeonhole Jesus into the picture that you were given as a kid. The flannel graph. Remember that? Do you, have, any, you know what I'm talking about? The little pictures that kind of go up there and shepherd. Um, you know? Um, the, uh, so this idea that Jesus starts to be able to speak on his own terms and be able to offend in the way that he would offend back then and surprise in the way that he would surprise and be able to become someone that you can follow rather than someone that follows you, become someone that is able to lead you 
because he's making moves and decisions that, you, that, that, that are not necessarily what you would predict. That is the way that I pray. I picture those scenes. What would it be like for me to be in the crowd and have him suddenly turn over and see Dave and look me in the eyes and say, I see you. Do you catch what I'm saying? This picture of the Sermon on the Mount is easy to go through and come out with some sort of a new list of things you can memorize. But if you picture yourself on the mountain and you picture yourself with Jesus sitting there and you see Jesus who knows more about where this story is going than you do, looking up at you and saying, the storms are coming. Are you hearing me? I want to prepare you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I want you to get through. There's going to be a lot of people that the storms are going to hit and they're going to feel like I abandoned them. I want you to understand this, that just because you become a Christian, just because you go to church every Sunday, just because you join a small group does not exempt you from this world and the rain falling on the righteous and the unrighteous. It just doesn't. So I want you to hear me because I want to prepare you. This idea of a beacon, this idea of remembering these words in the storm that Jesus didn't just speak 2,000 years ago. He spoke them today. He speaks them to you. Can you see him? Can you see the picture? Can you see the dirt? Can you see the people around that have never heard anything like this? Can you see him in the crowd suddenly noting you are here? Dorcas, you are here. Chris, you are here. John, you are here. Can you see him seeing you? That's how I pray with the picture in my head. And you can see him open his mouth and you can say it with me. When you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Let's stop there, because that's as far as we're going to go. Now, deliver us from evil. Later manuscripts add the evil one. So there's a different way of taking this. In the beginning, in the earlier manuscripts, it's deliver us from evil. And this idea, I want to start there first, because if we're going to get into this idea of temptations, I want to tell you something. And this is a, this is a topic, this, this topic of evil. It's a, it's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one. You know, when I was uh, in college, I read This Present Darkness and Piercing the Darkness. Anybody read those books? Anybody, am I dating myself? Wow. And when I was growing up, or when I was in college, all of you would raise your hand. Because this was the first time a book came into a Presbyterian church that talked about the devil. And we were, you know, like, what do we do with this? I don't know. I'm not sure what to do about this. This is tough. A tough, 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 tough topic because it's just, there's just, it's, it can be unclear. But where I, for, for tonight, just for the sake of what we're going to talk about, I, I want to give you the stance that when we think about evil, that there's some seismic shift in the order that we presently live in that somehow leads not just accidents to happen, but that there is some sort of malevolent force at work. 
Now, is that personified? I don't know, to be honest with you. I'm not sure. You guys know me. I typically keep my theology really small. I don't know. But I know that when I look at the Congo, for me, it is not simply a war that is a civil war. For me, I smell evil. When I hear about what happens to the small towns, I shake my head and I feel sick in my stomach. And that's where I'm at, is I smell evil. It's one of those things where I'm not, I get that people are trying. I get that people are in a hard place. I would probably do the same things if I were raised the same way, put in the same situation. I don't judge it. But what I know is that it smells at the end of the day like evil to me. Now, that is something that for me feels like it's like losing your way. I, I, I'll put this out here, and again, this is where I, I invite, you know this, I invite you to disagree with me. I don't mind that at all. I love the idea that you own whatever percentage of the room that is, you know, the total number. You get your percentage of it. I love that. I really do. For me, how I feel is like there's this sense of when I picture people in places where I'm watching, like that is, it feels, it smells, it just has that, feel of evil to me. What I feel is this sense of somebody or a group of people slowly losing their way, getting lost deeper and deeper and deeper. It's almost like those people that, you know, you go out on a hiking trip and you take one step and you don't realize that you're leaving the trail. You had it out there and it was kind of marked and now it's getting less and less marked and one step after another step. And now you're starting to look around and you think it was that tree that you were by. So you go over to that tree, but it wasn't that tree. And the more and more and more that you try to find your way out, the more and more you get lost. I will tell you that at 44 years old, I have a deep respect for the human capacity to become lost in life. And we feel it. And I want to tell you, I have a deep respect for people in your age bracket because it is so hard if it feels like you have been raised in a family where the parents felt lost and you feel right now you're watching some of those people, you know those people that come out of college or they come out of their job and they find their soulmate and it's so great because God gave them the thing and then they get married and they have their kid and they're just like so perfect and you're like, what? what? Their stroller matches their little outfits and they push them and they're so ha- happy and you look and you're like, why? where did I not sign up for that? You know, did you have the age bracket? Did you have the ages in your mind? I thought 24. 24 years old is when I'll get married. And by 27, I will have my first perfect child, at which point I will be comfortably in the upper upper middle class of my income. (laughs) I had a schedule. I mean, it was down. I was was ready. And I just kind of thought it was like, you just got that. You know, just don't mess it up too bad. And that's that's kind of the way it happens. How many of you are on plan B like me? Yeah? You know, somewhere you pass 24, you're like, well, I guess that's not happening. You know, and you keep going along, I guess that's not happening. And there's this, there's this feeling, you can have this feeling of, did I get off path somewhere? Did I get, did I miss a sign? There was a sign back there that God put in the ground that says, spouse, that way. You know, you're supposed to take a left, Dave. Doggone it, my plan for you is now interrupted. I had this whole thing. It was, what did you do? You just went right on by. 
can feel easy to get lost. It really can. The idea that we can get lost for me is one, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt. But on the other hand, I really do believe that there's a sense of that the world in the way that it is with that seismic shift presents to us temptations that can lead us one step by one step by one step where it's not just a matter of finding your perfect spouse. It's a matter of losing the values that ground you into the, in, and make you who you are, the principles and the practices that you keep because they're you, because they're God's will for your life, that when you, you do them, you feel that sense of God going, that's incredible. Way to be kind because kindness is of value for you even when the majority of the world would have looked at that person and written them off, you didn't because you have a value around talking to the people that no one will talk to. You know what I'm talking about. You have that value that when that little, that little opportunity came where you could have, have cheated the meter, you didn't do that. Why? Because your value, because your integrity isn't worth a buck fifty. It's worth more than that to you. Way to go. Is that going to earn God's love? No. But it makes you feel more grounded, more on time, more centered. Do you understand what I'm saying? God doesn't go, now I love you better. Way to be honest. I didn't love you this much, now I love you this much. But I love the idea of Jesus just going, yeah, way to go. Just like you would, just like you would. Common sense, just like you, if it was your child, you're watching out the window. And the kid throws sand right on their face. Sandbox. And you see the kid. And you go, oh no, what's going to happen? You see the kid get out of the sandbox. Because you don't want to play in a sandbox with someone who's throwing sand in your face. Come inside. (laughs) Way to go. I don't want to play with that kid either. But, because they throw sand in my face. I don't want to play with that. But, I didn't throw sand back. Pretty good. Pretty proud of you. Nice job. That kind of joy, the joy of God that God gets in watching you. That's what I'm talking about. Does that make sense? So I want to outline for me what I when I when I say I take seriously that in this broken world there is there are temptations that can take us further and further and further from the path. Not the path to plan A, where you've got the perfect this and the perfect that and the perfect thing and the perfect income and the perfect clothes. I'm not talking about that. It's the What I'm talking about is that path where it feels like you're in step with the Spirit in your life, where it feels like you're in step with being the person that you want to be, despite the circumstances you're in. Three. One. Speed. With the people that I work with, I want to tell you what the number one temptation is speed. I watch people and they come into my office. And they're like this. Ah, 
Okay, so I just want to make sure I want to, you know, talk about da 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 da. I want to get this thing going in my life, and da da da. And I can feel this sense. I'm sitting there, and I'm thinking, okay, this is really fast. And I can hear that they're talking about this, like all the stuff of their past. And I can hear how fast they came in, and they get done. Okay, thanks, Dave. Bye. See you next week. Da 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 da. Tell you something. I used to feel this pressure. Do you ever feel it? Someone comes up to you, and the rate of speech is so fast that you find yourself. Raising your own speed of speech, and you're trying to keep up with them. And when they're saying goodbye, you're like, "Okay, bye." And by the time you leave, you're at that same speed. They were going 90. Now you're going 90. It's a temptation. It's contagious. Speed spreads. It's really tough to maintain a speed that, if life asks you to take a turn, that you can take a turn and not wreck your car. The Audubon is great. As long as I don't have to turn left. Does that make sense? I love it. There's a cha- there's a time for speed. There's a time. I love it. I want to tell you something. When I was a little kid, Autotopia, Disneyland. I mean, they said, please don't bump the car in front of you. I was like, I will if I can. You know, and I'm flooring that thing. You know, you know you're just going about two miles an hour, I will wait up. And there was always the time with the person in front of me when they stalled out. <laughs> I will, you know, cuckoo, you know, like that. And I'm just like, my mission in Autotopia is done. Speed can be fun at times. It's great. I'm a friend of mine had a, had a uh, was, yeah, I call him my rich friend because I have one. And uh, <laughs> he bought a new Porsche back in 2007. <laughs> Love it. And, uh, uh, yeah, I did. I looked at it. I was like, I've never seen one of these. Touched it. You know. <laughs> and uh, he let me drive it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we were out in uh, the Antioch area. And I literally remember just this long straightaway. I pushed this down and pushed the pedal down. And he's like, just hold it down for two seconds. And I was just like, like this. My head just rockets back in the thing. I'm like, oh, stop. It was really fun for about 20 feet. And then I was like, wow, that is how people die. <laughs> so I just tasted it. You know, just tasted that. And then I just got out and I was like, you do it. Um, speed. I'm not saying that spe- you don't ever, you know, those people that are always kind of peaceful. There's therapists that's like this. They wear flowing clothes. <laughs> and every time they move, how are you? And you can, sm- they're just going so slow. And, and there's a part of me that goes a little faster. Just a little. Come on. So I'm not talking about this sort of meditative floating along the ground, but I know that in, if some of you are working for companies where they are paying you, your salary depends upon you kicking it into a gear that is so fast. And the problem is when you're going fast and then that one person irritates you, it is very difficult to turn and speak to them the words that Jesus would speak to them, isn't it? It is for me. Some of you are driving this way. You know. There's a temptation. I'm just watching people. I just thought, I'm not even going to point to anybody right now. But they just went like this. You know who you are. You know what it's like. You're driving in the car and there's people around you that just cut you off. You're like, oh, you know, you're going to try and get around them because no one's going to push me around on the road. I got pushed around when I was young. That's not going to happen on my way to work. I said, enough. Gonna take it out on the road. That'll solve it. And you get to work and all of a sudden your heartbeat's going and you're just, you can't figure out why now 
you just can't see, you know, church or whatever the sermon was is a million miles away and you're just, you're doing your stuff, you're doing your stuff. And then that chance, that chance to do the ethical thing comes up and it's, you're going so fast that boom, you go right by it. And it's not that you did anything wrong. It's just that you admitted doing what was right. Tough speed. So tempting, so tempting. It's all around you. It's American. We run on fast, fast is better, faster, faster, faster. We value it. Count, I challenge you, count in one hour how many commercials have to deal with speed. Temptation. Tough for me to stay on the path, not towards plan A for God's plan for my life as if there is one, but hard for me to stay the me that I think Jesus is going, I love it when you can what? I love watching you when you do what? When this comes out of you, your creativity, Dave, or your passion comes out of your commitment or your wisdom. But I can't do it when I've been going too fast for too long. If I go too fast for too long, I start having these crashes. And what I do is that I then don't want to be around people for about three days. You know what I'm talking about? Speed. Temptation, so tempting, so fun, especially if you get paid for it. Hmm? Second, war. Sometimes there's just wars. You know, if this is another one where we'd sit down and have a talk. I'm glad we finally entered World War II. Glad we did it. Time and a place. Some people might say we should have entered it sooner. Sometimes there's just no other option. And to fight for freedom, sometimes it's going to take us coming. That's my, that's my way. But I want to tell you something. And this is, again, come back and argue all you want. I'd rather have you talking about it than agreeing with me. I don't need you to agree. I want you to talk. But let's start counting how many wars were necessary. World War One. Anyone studied that? Tough to figure it out. Korean conflict? Tough. Vietnam? Tough. Gulf Wars? Tough. A lot of wars starting all the time, and there's a lot of complications around them, and I want to challenge you and say, as people who are called to Christ, I want to challenge you that I personally feel this burden that there is a temptation to war. Part of it is, in war, I get to prove myself. Being able to prove yourself is the issue of where you are in your life. 22 to 32, I do not mess with that drive. Prove yourself as someone who can be successful. Prove yourself as someone who is attractive. Prove yourself with the talents that you've got. It is a drive that is so powerful. I get that. I do not minimize that, and I don't shame it. But I want to tell you something. When someone crosses your path, when someone looks at you the way that that other person used to look at you, and it ignites in you this temptation to war, and for some of you, nice people, you know who you are. They're so nice. They just never get angry. They're nice. You know? Where's the war? 
inside their head. They think it. They diminish people in their head. That's what I can do. You may not see it, but I walk down the street and that person did that one thing. And for me, the temptation to war comes when I watch someone be insensitive or, or when I watch somebody be um, not be aware of other people. You guys know that about me. I can, that's my temptation. My temptation in my head is I start telling them very mean things. And then I feel it. And I've taken a step off the path. I can feel myself starting to walk into the woods. The temptation to war. Does it need to be a war? Imagine if instead of a war, it was simply a challenge. For some of you, that war is long-standing and it started. Listen to this. You want to get really into the counseling element. What we talk about is a war that started generations before you were born. It's a war. It's a battle. We will not have this happen to us again. And somebody marries somebody to prove that, to try and work it out. And in fact, they find that they can't win the war there. You watch this war disintegrate, and so you inherit it. It's been a part of your life, your whole life. Go find a spouse where you can work out the war. Tough to do. The temptation to war is always there. I know people, and this is where it's most overt, and this is the one where I really, you see the person that is so easily angered. Going back to the freeway. You see him in the window. <laughs> not doing it. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of anger for a trip home. War did not start with me. I know it didn't. But the war's been going on in their life. Temptation. Hard, hard, hard. In a situation where there's a war going on. Think of Jesus with the woman caught in the act of adultery. If Jesus has a war going on in his head, he's got these people, mostly men, that are looking down at this woman who has been dragged out. Where's the guy caught? We don't know. But she's been thrown down. She's embarrassed. She's been totally stripped of any dignity. She's powerless. She has a side to this story that is not going to be heard. Some of you know what it's like. To be put in a place where you have a reason, you have a story, you have a side, and it's not being heard by the people who have the power in your life. You know that feeling. And you have the townspeople with their stones in their hand. Now, if I have the war, and if I'm Jesus, and I stand up, I'm just looking at who I'm taking out first. Do I take out the Pharisees first? Do I take out that guy over there with a stone? But someone's going down because... This isn't fair. This isn't right. There's been no justice. We don't know what happened here. Someone said something. Instead, he stops. Gets quiet. He's drawn in the dirt. In the war, you can just see the missiles going over his head. Temptation. Get in, Jesus. Get in. You can fight him right here. And he asks him a question. Which of you, without sin, he gives him a challenge. Be the first person. That's you. Go ahead and throw the first stone. I cannot do that work. 
And I do believe it is all of our work as followers of Christ to come into a situation like that and listen long enough and be present enough with the Spirit to not enter into the war. You have someone right now who's your enemy, who just hates you. You did that one thing, you said that one thing, and now they've said that one thing about you to the other person that now hates you. And you know the temptation to do what? Go find someone else and tell them something about that other person that will finish them off. You don't want to be talked to about like like that. I understand there's a drive to not let someone else control the narrative about who you are. I get that. I don't shame that. But all of us know what it's like to be put in that place where we now carry the war. And either we carry out in this sort of guerrilla warfare or we carry it out overtly. There's people that are always prickly. I know those people. You say the wrong, wrong thing and they blow up and so everybody starts walking on eggshells because they're carrying the war. I want to tell you the temptation to war. So powerful. Speed, war, slavery. So tempting. That one thing that'll make you beautiful. That one program. That if you do it, ten minutes, these magic rubber bands, that if you pull on them for ten minutes, (laughs) ten minutes, you can have a stomach that will be on national TV, (laughs) glistening in ten, with 14, not a six-pack, a 14-pack that goes all the way up to your shoulders. uh, Great. Start your workout. But how many people do you know? We deal with this all the time when I'm working with university students. You know the people that if they miss their exercise, they miss their workout, they're afraid that they're suddenly going to get fat. And there's that feeling of compulsion. And they have to go do it. They have to go do it. You know the people, this is literally how some eating disorders, one step at a time, one step into the forest, one step after one step, suddenly you can't leave anymore. It's not okay to have a little bit of fat on your body. And they start seeing, it's called dysmorphia, body dysmorphia, where they'll start seeing their body and literally they'll start seeing every imperfection. All of us can develop some dysmorphia where we start seeing things. Almost we see their faults. We look at it so hard. We look at our face. We can be so hard on ourselves, can't we? You have that one blemish and you think that's the biggest thing on your face. We become a slave to appearance can't not look my best. And you say I'm free, but you know that at night you're going to look at yourself in the mirror because you have to. That feeling of being a slave. When Paul, when he gets older, one of the things that I love about him, I think Paul, what I love about Paul, and I'll sit down and I'll find this out, but I think Paul was one of those turbulent people. I think the war tempted him a lot. He got in a lot of fights. Go read First and Second Corinthians. He is so mad. 
But as he gets older, what I watch is that some of the temptations to war are not hooking him as much. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is not a thing about I can lift 400 pounds or I can do this in 10 minutes and get my chiseled abs. It's like I can do all things because you don't define me anymore. I'm not a slave to your opinion. He's so worked up in 2 Corinthians. But by the time you start reading in Philippians, you just get this sense he's finally figuring it out. Which I love the idea. This is where some of you are going to just hate this. I like the idea that God would let me see somebody grow up in Scripture. I like that idea. It makes me feel like I don't have to have it so perfect. I like seeing Paul and going, wow, he's getting more mature the more he goes. Now that's me. It's tempting to become a slave to your salary. I have people come to me all the time and they have got creative potential that is off the charts. Literally talked to a guy maybe an hour and a half ago. I love this guy. This guy, you know, it's this idea of God giving each one of us talents. You're not talentless. And this drive that we have to maximize that talent. And he works for a company that does not allow for any extra energy to be left over at the end of the day or he is not keeping up with his coworkers. Now, here's the problem is that the name of the company is so prestigious. But he's musical. He is. Great voice. He says, Dave, the heartbreak of my life is I feel like I come home and I don't have any energy left over. I can be, he says, this is what he says, I, I can be a dad. I can be a good husband almost without trying. It's like those, some of you know what it's like to go to high school and you were that three, seven person and you got it without a dime of studying. Yeah. You know those people. Just took physics. Got an A. Didn't even go to class. Just walked in, took the final. He has that feeling. He can do that in his home, but his work demands it. He's got so much more to him. Now, here's the challenge. You see the young rich ruler coming up to Jesus saying, I'm in. I want to follow you. Absolutely. And Jesus looks him in the eye. And there's this moment. He says, absolutely. Great. That's fine. I want you to take all the thing, all the money you have, everything you own, sell it. Give the money to the poor. Then come follow me. I've got a life for you. It's almost a lot, it's a lot more to you than what you own. And I think at that moment, that guy would have said, no problem. But he doesn't. And I think all of us face that all the time. Let me ask you a question. If the call came for you to maximize what God has given you in your talents, does a job own you? Does a career path have you? Could you leave? I'm not saying you have to. Some people hate this part of the talk. I'm afraid he's going to ask me to go to some other country. Quit my job. I'm not asking you to do it. I'm just asking you if you could do it. I'll tell you something. For a guy who worked four and a half years at REI, working with a green vest, punching a time clock, and having a 22-year-old tell me I'm 10 minutes late for my break, which is true. I'm over that. If I'm a therapist for the rest of my life, great. If I'm a therapist till tomorrow, that's okay too. Because I'll be a therapist no matter wherever I go. Because that's in me. 
They just happen to have a title right now. What about you? You got stuff in you? What's got you? What owns you? Temptation to slavery. Slavery over substances. Some of you know what it's like. There's that one substance that's got you. Some of you, it's drinking. It's already started. You know what it's like. Some of you, it's other substances. For some of you guys, you know the Internet's got you. And for me, a lot of times slavery... Can I use you for a second? Come on up here. Slavery sometimes is like this. It's not really grabbing you. It doesn't really hurt. But try and leave. Go ahead and walk, but don't yank me because you'll overpower me. It's like this. Just little. And it smiles at you. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. It's okay. You're all right. I'll be right here. You can do anything in your life. You can live anything you want. And I'll just be right here. That's slavery. Thank you. You understand what I'm saying? It limits you. It gives you a free reign of about five feet until you try to pull loose. I'll tell you, the temptation to slavery is really, really hard. I'm going to give you three things. Three values. For those of you who feel like you've lost your way, to speed the war to slavery, to speed, I would give you the, val- the, the value of balance. Dave Roar talks about rhythm. That's a good one too. For some of you, you work too much. You go too fast, so you need extra time for yourself at night, so you stay up too late. Balance in your life. Do you have time to work out? I know this is one of those things we Christians believe that I should be able to run on the juice of the Spirit. (laughs) Going to keep on praying. And I don't got no gym. I don't need to go to the gym. I just need to pray for the Spirit. I'm so tired. How much did you sleep? Three hours. (laughs) Pray some more. Shut up. You know, got to pray. Value balance. Value it. Does your daytimer, if I look at your schedule, does it reflect a balance of body, mind, and spirit? God made you a spiritual being, but He made you a physical being. If you don't have a balance in your life, how are you expecting to counteract the temptation of the global call to speed? War. I want to challenge you. Peace. Practice peace. It doesn't mean being a pushover. It means when someone comes at you and wants to hook you into the war. How do you stop? Imagine the war blows away like sand. And now all that's left is a challenge in your life, a challenge to maturity, a challenge to wisdom. Like Moses, the Red Sea, There's no way through but the war that you've always known growing up. You say that one thing and your mom says that one thing back and the war starts again. But what if there is no war? Just stops and suddenly there's peace and you can start to see the person that is tempting you to war. You can see where they came from 
and start to get in their mind and their heart and how they would see you. By the way, this is something I use all the time. If I'm tempted to the war, I remind myself that I am only a template in this person's life. I am one stop on the road. I am never the only person that this person has had a war with, nor will I be the last unless I am an instrument of peace. I promise you that. For those of you who feel like you are the problem growing up in your family, I promise you, you were not. There was a problem before you, you entered into it, and there will be a problem after you. How these people interacted with you, I promise you, you were a template. One more person. And you can internalize it. It's easy to do. You swallow it and believe you are the problem. Then you have to work out a war. Value balance. Slavery. This is a tough one. Um, But I'm going to give you the challenge to value intention. What I mean is that if you were, imagine, this crazy idea. Imagine that you and Jesus were sitting down. He says, look, I got this different way of living life. I'm going to just give it to you. Imagine I give you a week, and I'm going to give you seven days. Now listen, in that week, 24 hours, 24 hours have got to be about your restoration because you get tired real easy, and when you get tired, you get tempted to speed and war. I'm going to give you seven days. One full day has got to be about restoration, but I guess six, I want you to tell me, what do you want to put into them? What do you intend in 10 years? One of the biggest things for me is that if I could wave a wand over you literally, and I know I can't, some of you aren't going to believe it, I would love for you to let yourself off the hook to be in an age of productivity. I know people in their 20s and early 30s that are really productive, and I always worry about them because they burn out, and burnout's really painful. I would love this decade of your life to be about Preparation, not production. Who are the teachers that you need to go take classes from to do the things that you want to do that maximize the talents that God has given you? Do you understand? What are the hours that you need to put into learning the things that you don't know? Who are the people that can mentor you? I don't care about your salary. I don't. You think right now you're late. You're not late. That's why you get an old guy like me coming in. Can I show you something? I was waiting whether I was going to do this. Can I show you something? Yeah. I'm going to show them. Can I show you what I just did? I just came out with my CD. Yeah, I did. Now listen. Yeah, thanks. It's actually my second CD. Now listen, listen. I'm not saying that for anything else. Sorry, John. Let me, let me tell you. This isn't, this isn't, this is nothing. I was like, I don't want to, I don't want to. But let me tell you this. The reason I have that is at 32, when I was going through my time of burnout, time of totally just figuring out what am I going to do with my life, I'll tell you something. What I decided to do was to say, what do I, if I had 10 years, what would I love to see with the talents that I've had? This is what I came up with. You come up with your own. Mine was, I want to have a CD of my own music that I record in my own studio and that I build in a house that I buy from a career that I build from a degree that I don't yet have. That was mine. Ten years. I have ten years. I just started working. 
Now, here's the thing. I had always done music since I was like two. I had this little picture of me on the piano pushing my dad off the piano bench, and I've always done that. I was always the guy in college that I'd start playing the piano, and then everybody would sort of sit around and study. But I had like 22 bars per measure. I mean, I had no idea of how to put together songs. I just knew that I had these tunes going through that people seemed to like. That was just me. So four and a half years of vocal lessons and four and a half years of production lessons and four and a half years of going in twice a week for allergy shots. A lot of four years of school took me two times as long to get through my master's program for counseling. What I love is that this, I'm 44 and I just came out with an album. I look at these kids that are like 25 and I just came out with my album. It's like I'm just going, awesome. I'm 20 years behind them. And I, I've had to let that go. There's no musicians that are making it when they're 44. You know, that's how it can go in my head. Until I just go, but this represents to me my intention. And for me, honest to goodness, that John knows this is true. That the heartbeat for me is that between me and God, we're good when it comes to music. I have that feeling. It's not a perfect album by any means. But for me to be able to feel that sense of, God, you gave me that gift, and I've done what I need to do with it. If I do more, great. But I have this sense of God going, Dave, way to go. I love watching your sweat. I love watching your tears. And there was exhaustion putting it in. I love that you maximized it. What is your talent? What do you want to do? What do you want to prepare for in the next 10 years? That in your 40s, in your 50s, starts bearing fruit. During that time, I also decided I wanted to learn how to row. I never rowed before. I always wanted to. What do you want to do? And I want to tell you something. If you have a job that demands 60 hours of time, it is very difficult to not turn into a slave. And that is an unpopular message in the United States of America, people. In one of the biggest tech centers in the United States, Seattle, it is not a popular message. But I want to challenge you with something. I would love for you to fight the temptation of slavery by being intentional. What goes into your week that gives you life? That balances body, mind, spirit, the talents that you have? What do you want to put in there? Imagine Jesus says, I gave you life. This week is my gift to you. It is not the gift of Microsoft. They did not give you life. They did not give you this week. I did. They are not your Lord. They are not your Savior. They never will be. And you can tell people all your life, I work for Microsoft. And they go, oh. Some of you are going to be so mad at me for this. That's okay. Now, for some of you who can work there, I want to say this. Some of you know how to work at Microsoft and stay free. And you're still feeling intentional about your life. I love it. You just have more energy than I do. And that's the way we're wired. So it's, this is an issue of maturity. You can trash all this stuff, by the way, by getting nitpicky and immature about it. This is ultimately an issue of discipleship, about being mature growing up. Ultimately speaking, you know how much energy do you have some of us have a lot of energy. Some of us don't have a lot of energy. What can you do with what you have? Some of us have billions of talents. Some of us have two or three. The temptation to slavery. So that when you get 
to your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, you feel like someone owns you is a very bad feeling. And I will challenge you that there will be a lot of people that will be driving very nice cars who feel so terrible inside about not knowing who they are. There will be some that will be driving the nice cars that really have done a great job of staying in that. It's not legalism. I challenge you to at least be aware of the temptations. Closing out, for those of you who feel lost, at the end of the day, the picture is Jesus on a mountain and he's looking around at the, at the, at the crowd and he's saying, come home. At the end of the day, what I want for you is to come home to me. Return to me in prayer. Get down on your knees. Confess your sins. I promise you it'll be okay. For those of you who feel like you're way off in the woods, that's okay. We can get you on the path. We can get you going. We can start over. That's good news. It's not judgmental news. It's grace-filled news. I don't care what your parents told you you had to do with your life. I don't care what goals you set for yourself that feel like they're no longer worthwhile to you. Jesus looks at you and says, I see you. I know you. I made you. I knit you together. And when the storm comes and the temptations want to lead you out into the woods, stake your values. Set your eyes on that picture. Jesus, allow the Spirit to come in. Jesus, thank you so much. Pray for everybody in this room who needs to come home. Pray for people who feel like they've been talking about you all their life but may have this longing in their heart to know you and to feel you and to be with you. I pray for time for them. I pray for balance for them. I pray for intention for them. I pray for peace for them. That even if their salaries don't match their friends, even if their job company titles don't impress, that they have this peaceful sense of doing the right things in their week that give them life that are in preparation for later on when they might have more production. And the storm hits and they feel like you've left them. That these words come back to mind that are not from me. That are not from any song we sing any sermon they hear, but from you and your spirit to them. All God's people said, Amen. You guys, thank you for the privilege of being able to speak a few weeks in a row. It ministers to me to be here not just once a week or once every year or, you know, time. It's been a real privilege. And you are one of my favorite groups to speak to. That is true. John will tell you that. There's something so authentic here. And I just want to tell you, it's been a real blessing. What's also amazing is that these guys keep picking songs that go so well with what we're trying to say, which tells me that the Spirit is in the room. So let's sing together. But let's also, as we sing, let's listen. For some of you, this is God trying to speak to you tonight. Amen.